Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Brooks Cabina. I'm joined by Houston Chronicle sports columnist Brian T. Smith. You can follow us at B-K-U-B-E-N-A and at Cron Brian Smith. Brian, we're here on June 6th recording this podcast in the afternoon, operating on a snapped microphone here. Um, this is the off season for me. I try to get things together in my personal life, but I'm currently just operating like I'm a stand-up comedian. So if uh, this starts to pop or do whatever it else, like, you know, just blame that on me and my lack of experience on the stage. So uh, we're going to work through this. And tomorrow is uh, the OTAs are continuing for the Texans. Uh, we've seen about three weeks of this with a new group of guys who are in new veterans getting signed. It seems like one about every other week. And we'll keep seeing more additions as a team is trying to go into its second phase of its rebuild. A lot of new older veterans joining in with the rookie class that they signed and drafted to try and mold some of the talent that they have to get closer to being a contender again. And, you know, Brian, they've, they've, it's been a few years since they've been a contender. And one of those faces that has been consistently around in the Houston franchise for almost a decade, Romeo Crennel, who served last year as an advisor on David Culley's staff. He was a longtime defensive coordinator with the Texans, former three-time head coach, uh, also was the interim whenever Bill O'Brien was fired. Uh, On Monday, he retired after 50 years of coaching, 39 of that spent in the NFL. Romeo Cornell, one of the more respected defensive minds of the NFL, really gained most most of his uh, prestige early on working with Bill Parcells. He was a defensive line coach, with Parcells on three different teams, ended up on the Patriots as a defensive coordinator with Bill Belichick, won three Super Bowls, went 9-0 and in the postseason, and then that earned him a chance to be a head coach with the Browns that wasn't so successful on a perennial rebuilding team, and then ended up in the Chiefs getting a second shot there and then landing with the Texans. And Brian, uh, you know, you, you watched him for a long time here as a defensive coordinator, some of their better defenses, and J.J. Watt, thrived in his time there. What are your memories from Romeo Cornell's time here in Houston? Yeah, Brooks, number one, just how incredibly professional Romeo was in dealing with uh, you know the media, the day-to-day. He was forced into, pushed into, you know, stepped into some really tough situations. I mean, the, the latest one was 2020 coronavirus year. You know, everything was off, especially in sp- sports world. Um, and the Texans make it through four games with, you know, at the time, King Bill O'Brien, they were starting to completely unravel on and off the field. You had all the Jack Easterby drama, Sean Watson was still the franchise quarterback and out of nowhere. And in, in some ways, you know, after years of building toward it, Bill O'Brien is fired and Romeo Cornell has to, you know, not just fill in, but start answering the questions. And he was able to keep the overall, team you know moving forward they had some really bad losses some questionable coaching decisions i remember you know going back and forth with him a couple times post game but romeo was always professional and and you, you it just every time he spoke he was on the sideline i i could st- still always picture him with a bill belichick team and you you know it's the longer you end up doing this most of the people who stick around, for me, outside of unless they're just incredibly great um, on the field, whether it be a coach or a player or, or, or a GM, but the ones that stick in your mind the longest are the ones that are the best people. 
And I, I, to this day, I've never heard anything bad about Romeo Cornell. And even when it got bad with the Texans, even when they were dysfunctional, even you know, on and on, he was always fantastic to deal with. The other part of that, as, as you mentioned, and I was you know, working with John McClain as a beat writer covering these teams and as a columnist covering these teams. But the best the Texans ever were in many ways under Bill O'Brien was because of Romeo Cornell's defense. It wasn't the, the Texans' offense. They had Hopkins and they had some pieces. But they had Brock Osweiler at quarterback 2016, and, and they they went to Foxborough, and they played Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the Patriots very, very tough on the road in the bitter cold in the division round game. And I've written about this a billion times, and I'll continue to say it as long as I'm at the Houston Chronicle. They had a shot to win that game, and they had a shot to win that game on the road against the Patriots when nobody you know even gave them a chance. Because of Romeo Cornell's defense, because you know he knew the Patriots so well, he knew what you had to do as as a coordinator, and you know, so if you you go back to the start of the Bill O'Brien era, that was a huge hire, a huge get for the Texans. In the end, Romeo Cornell had multiple roles for the organization. It's a bit of an odd time for him to step away, kind of in the middle of the summer, middle of OTAs. But when you're Romeo Cornell and you your time is up, you want to go. You go whenever you want to. So serious tip of the cap and a kudos to just a fantastic professional football, college, et cetera, coaching career. He did everything. Um, Romeo Cornell you know, will be remembered for a long time on Kirby Drive. Now you mentioned the 2016 season. That was back when I was just a Beaumont Enterprise sports reporter out in the East. I'd come in. I got to visit with you and John and others on the beat. Uh, around that time came in and covered some stuff and I remember the Raiders game in the wild card just before that New England game that defense really carried them through that that season and um, I I mean I think it's so interesting what you brought up here Brian because when Bill O'Brien was first hired obviously he was coming um, uh, up from being a head coach with Penn State had some time with the Patriots in the NFL as an assistant coach but these NFL coaches a lot of it has to do about what do you build your staff around and they had never coached together in New England, but obviously they had the Belichick connection. But to start his NFL career as a head coach with that hire, I mean, that almost makes a difference, didn't it? I mean, he came in, this is a guy who had head coaching experience. And I know last year was a disaster in many ways for the Texans, but having Cornell as an advisor was part of the plan that they were trying to build around David Culley, who had never been a head coach before, and at least having Lovey Smith and Cornell around and giving that brain trust of wealth around what was going to be a bad team just because of the roster. But from 2014 on, I mean, the defenses were there. I mean, if it weren't Cornell, if there were other moves that could have made Bill O'Brien's tenure as a Texans coach, whether people liked it or not, I mean, that's different, isn't it? Oh, yeah, without question. And there's, look, uh, wake me up when Lovey Smith becomes as good as Bill (laughs) O'Brien in terms of, winning games and getting in the divisional play. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm not saying that Lovey Smith can't do it, but they've got a long, long way to go before they could even start talking about winning the AFC South again, hosting a home playoff game. All of that, you know, we wanted more because the Texans were coming off of the Andre Johnson, Matt Schaub, Arian Foster, Dwayne Brown, Brian Cushing, JJ Watt era, 12 and four. And everyone inside of Kirby, outside of Kirby knew they had another step to take. But the best the Texans have been since then was with Bill O'Brien as their head coach, pre-general manager, and Romeo Cornell as their defensive coordinator. Yeah, that was that was a huge, huge decision 
early on, and there's no way around it because they played quarterback carousel more than anyone in the NFL for years. And the the reason, the primary reason they were able to stay at, you know, a competitive nine and seven and always be in the playoff conversation, always be in the AFC South conversation and hang those division banners wasn't because of the offense. It was because of the defense. Now, they had some of those pieces before and you had J.J. Watt, et cetera, but they drafted Clowney. The, you know, the first pick of the O'Brien era was, was Jadevian Clowney. And the one of the biggest moves, positive moves that Bill O'Brien made uh, was putting so much stock, rightfully so, into Romeo Cornell and and saying, hey, I'm going to do offense. You you know, you do defense. And I always, I always thought it was interesting in so many ways. I mean, the relationship between Cornell and O'Brien, it always kind of felt like Romeo had seen it all. So in some ways, there was nothing that Bill O'Brien could, could do, uh, good or bad, that was really going to shake him because he had already seen it all. And ultimately, it was just football. And and the defense fell, you know, slid downward in the last few years. And the last few years weren't perfect and weren't pretty. And that's how it often goes when you, when you do something for 50 years, right? But in the end... Uh, for the last 10 years on Kirby, really since 2013, 2014, Roman Cornell was one of the best things about the organization. And you're talking about in this modern era of the NFL dating back to the really the turn of the millennium. Roman Cornell is one of the most respected defensive names in the NFL. Um, so, again, tip of the cap to him. But, yeah, that, that was a, a pivotal decision by O'Brien that in, in many ways you know, worked out than I think a lot of people thought it was ever going to. Yeah, and Cornell runs the 3-4, uh, Lovey Smith running a 4-3, and you mentioned the success uh, that uh, Cornell had in defense, and we'll see how much the defense progresses as Smith continues in his third chance as being a head coach in the NFL. And uh, you mentioned how O'Brien and Cornell were able to split things up, offense, defense, and now uh, that's what makes this kind of compelling here is that we know Lovey Smith's track record as a defensive coordinator, Pep Hamilton coming in for his third chance as a NFL play caller, even though he didn't have the full title as OC in Cleveland, he did call plays there. So we'll see how that relationship continues. And you've written columns about this in past podcasts. Me and John used to talk about it too, was comparing that 2013 uh, season uh, versus last year's. And there are so many differences, but you know they, they did have a core unit of good players. Uh, you mentioned like J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins and others. Uh, that's kind of the difference here. I guess Brandon Cooks might be kind of the top player in Laramie Tunsil um, would probably be in those uh, core players of stars that you could build around. And uh, now that they've got uh, the draft picks that they had, the two first rounders, Kenyon Green and Derek Stingley and others, those guys are going to factor into what was really just a total overhaul of the roster last year. And there were a couple of more signings in the past couple of weeks. Um, defensively, I think it's interesting just to see how the secondary ends up. We talked a little bit about it with Jalen Petrie, how he fits into the mix um, in the last couple of weeks. Lovey Smith said he's going to play safety and not nickel. I think Desmond King probably factors back into that position, going to battle with Tavier Thomas. Uh, They've been going through that. Thomas played really well towards the end of last year, and uh, there was some conversation about whether he should have deserved to be in the Pro Bowl, and People who like pro football focus or not, they ranked him very highly in the way that he was playing ball. But uh, so at cornerback, you have a pretty clear picture that Derek Stingley Jr. is going to start on one side of the ball, even though he hasn't been uh, practicing that much throughout this OTAs. He's still coming back from his foot injury. He's not in team drills, but he's doing enough participation to show that, 
yeah, he's going to be back. Uh, but that other side, uh, there, there are a couple of guys that could fit into the mix, and they uh, just signed another cornerback last week, Fabian Moreau, who started uh, was the primary starter for the Falcons last year. And although that defense is, wasn't highly successful, he still brings another position with uh, a lot of experience and knowledge and Really, that's more than the Texans had going into the offseason. Why Lovey Smith made cornerback such a big deal going into the draft. Uh, so we'll see. He, he factors into that. I still, um, you know, I, 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 we'll see how he factors in and whether he might start there or it's at least showing that there's going to be a position battle there. And they're wanting to add as many people as they can there. And on Monday, they signed another position of need on offensive guard. Uh, the interior was a disaster last year. Uh, they had to have um, Titus Howard switch to left guard, play there for the majority of the year. And uh, I think that's why A.J. Can is such a big signing for them, who was a primary starter for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, George Warhop was the offensive line coach in Jacksonville. He joins the staff with Houston, and they signed another offensive lineman from Jacksonville, Trevor Wallace Sims. And he spent all the last year on the practice squad, had one game when he came up, and they were – dealing with a lot of COVID issues at the time. Uh, he's a young player, undrafted out of Missouri, big guy at 330 pounds, not a lot of NFL playing experience. He has about 17 snaps of offensive play, mostly was a special teams guy. So really, he's familiar with Warhop's uh, system. Now he likes to uh, do run schemes. It's mostly been a power run if you look at Warhop and his past, and Pep Hamilton wants to be able to do that. So does he project as a starter? No, this is just another depth, and maybe he has the range to work into this. Obviously, all these players, this this roster is going to be cut once we get into training camp and see how the Texans and, and general manager Nick Casero handles the roster. But, I mean, it's just another addition to what we'll see with this offensive line. So we're going to go out to OTAs tomorrow. Uh, we'll get a chance to talk to Marlon Mack who I think is probably one of the top signings that they got in the offseason. It's a running back position that they really needed last year. We've written, talked, did videos as much as we can about how bad the running game was and how much better it needs to get, especially if Pat Hamilton wants to run the kind of West Coast system he's been privy to in his past jobs. But um, we'll, we'll see how Marlon Mack factors into this. He's obviously coming off of his Achilles injury um, from a couple of years ago, and he's now in a spot where he can compete again uh, after Jonathan Taylor uh, zoomed into being one of the best backs in the last couple of years in the NFL. So we'll get a chance to see that. Um, also on Monday, uh, even though he's not playing for the Texans anymore, the litigation continues in Houston. Since being traded to the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson, there have been two civil lawsuits that have been added to what is now 24 total lawsuits accusing him of sexual misconduct during therapy, massage, sessions. And last week, there was a 23rd and the woman who um, filed suit with Tony Busby, who represents all the women, said that she had changed her mind about filing a lawsuit at, since uh, there was an HBO special a couple of weeks ago. She also claimed that the owner of a Houston area spa facilitated the massages for Watson and knew he was attempting to have sex with a therapist and that Watson paid the owner at least $5,000 for the work. And Watson and his attorney, Rusty Harden, have vehemently de denied that there was any coercion or intimidation involved with the parties. And on the 24th lawsuit that was filed on Monday, um, it was another woman who alleged similar conduct in another 
therapy session that happened two that happened in 2020. And um, it's it, it's added to what has now grown to 24. And the criminal case has reached two grand juries, both chose not to indict Deshaun Watson, who whenever he went to Cleveland, the Browns said that they had done due diligence, um, had looked into Watson's past with their own people. And we've written stories about the Browns handling of that situation. They did not reach out to the women nor Tony Busby. And um, they have received a lot of backlash in the last couple of weeks with the emergence of these two new lawsuits. If they had done due diligence to know whether these would be coming back and now what will happen. So these are all moving towards an ultimate resolution in civil court, whether that will be in the form of settlements or reaching court. And the Browns and the NFL are, are still going through the NFL's uh, investigation into the situation. And Roger Goodell has yet to decide whether he will suspend him or not. So that continues and uh, we, we will continue to be around on on that story as it continues to develop. So uh, lots of news still happening as we get into June and July as we lead up into training camp. Uh, you can continue to follow us on Twitter at BKUBENA. Cron Brian Smith. And we'll have more in the Houston Chronicle. Thank you for reading, watching, and listening. Listening.